Father God, I thank you for the privilege of getting to preach here, and I thank you that you are a great God that is great beyond our imagination. God, you are the one who knows every single person by name here, and I'm thankful for name tags because I don't know most of them, and it makes it a lot easier to get to know someone when you have a name tag on, but you know each and every one's name, and you know their heart, and you know their lives. You know where the counselors are at. You know where each one of the campers are at. You know where we are at today. So would you take your word and powerfully work in the lives of people you promise that your word will not return void. And so use your word today and through the rest of this weekend as the sword that pierces the dividing asunder of the joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And for some of the kids who are here today, Lord, the worst part of camp is chapel. They just hate sitting through the sermons. They're here, they'll enjoy having fun, but they absolutely hate coming into chapel. Would you grab a hold of them, help them to realize that right where they're at is where you'll meet them, and would you take your word and powerfully work in their lives? For others, they love it. They love coming and being fed. They have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. May today and this weekend push them in godliness. For all of us, may we lift up our eyes to our Father, who is greater than all of our circumstances, greater than all of our difficulties. I realize that many are here today from abusive homes, from split homes, from divided families, from divided churches, from dying churches, from thriving churches. They love you. They don't love you. They read your word. They're full of addictions. There's all sorts of different circumstances that we come to your word with. Yet your word is powerful enough to turn our eyes to you. So would you do that through the preaching of your word? May we lift up our eyes to you. And may we walk away this weekend not seeing ourselves as the hero of our story, but you as the master worker in our lives. And may we be grateful to get to be used by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. The theme for this weekend is godly in a godless world or living godly in a godless world. And when I say godless, I don't mean little g God. I mean big g God. We have lots of little g gods. We have lots of little g gods like uh, pleasure, sports, uh, entertainment. Anyone ever heard of TikTok? Yeah, okay, like that's a little G God where we can just binge watch TikTok all the time, YouTube, whatever it is. We have plenty of little G gods, but one of the things I've begun to notice as I've preached and as I've talked with teens and I've talked with adults is many of us need a greater focus and a greater understanding of the one true God. And so that's our theme is learning how to live godly in a godless world. And if you would put a theme verse on this entire weekend, it'd be 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30 which says, those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. So as you look there, our first message for today is a godless world's greatest need. What do you think a godless world's greatest need is? Go ahead. A God, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's a great answer. Anyone else? What's a godless world's greatest need? Yeah, back there. Answers. Uh, what's, what's another answer? Yeah, go ahead back there. Jesus, right? A godless world's greatest need is Jesus. But I would submit to you that a godless world's greatest need is worshipers. And some of you, you might argue and say, wait a minute, I'm going to trip over a ball. And I break really, really easily, by the way, guys. So I could like break a leg if I trip over anything up here. So I'm not going to do that. 
A godless world's greatest need is worshipers. And you would say, wait a minute, pastor, doesn't the godless world need God? Absolutely, but when you become a worshiper of God, guess who you talk about? Wow, that was a Sunday school answer. You could have known. Okay, when you become a worshiper of God, guess who you talk about? God, and when you begin to love God and honor him, you begin to serve him. And I love this quote from John Piper. He says this, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, or I would say the greatest need of the world. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate and not man. And so point number one for us today is worship God despite your national condition. Now in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, says there was a certain man of Ramathim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zeus, son of the Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Paniah. And Paniah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Now, when you read that right away, nothing really jumps out besides some really hard names to pronounce and the fact that he has how many wives? Two, right? And you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem like too great of an idea. But other than that, not much jumps out. But the context here, what he emerges on in the sake of time is he comes in at the end of the book of Judges. And this is the last verse of the book of Judges. In those days, this is the national condition for Elkanah. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was what? Right in their own eyes. If you were living in Elkanah's day, you would hear people using language like, well, that's your truth, and I have my truth. Or phrases like, truth is relative. Have you ever heard anything like that? The reality is the national condition of Elkanah thousands of years ago is very similar to the national condition now, where there is no truth. That's kind of awful, but just so you understand how bad the nation was, at the end of Judges, here's what happened. A girl in one of the last chapters of Judges gets raped to death, and then she's cut into pieces, and then the pieces of her body are sent out into the nation, and then the nation says, oh, this is a horrible thing that's done. Let's all band together, and we're going to go kill an entire nation, the nation of Benjamin. Benjamin is where the girl had been raped. And so they go out, and they wipe out almost the entire tribe, and they're like, well, let's not kill everybody. we got to leave a couple of them. But they don't have any wives. They only have guys. And so they're like, okay, now we're going to completely commit genocide. So what do we do? And this is their decision. You ready? We have the verses up here for you. This is their decision. And they commanded the people of Benjamin saying, go lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. Girls, does that sound romantic? Yeah, you're going out to dance, enjoying it, and all of a sudden a bunch of guys come out of the woods and snatch you away, and you're their wife. Congratulations. What you have here is man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Man completely unsubmitted to God. And that's the condition that he came into. And into this mess, you would expect that what would need to happen is you would need to have some great prophet, some great king, some great leader that says, hey, guys, that was a really dumb idea. But what emerges is a worshiper. Elkanah is the first person who emerges, and he emerges as a worshiper. 
He's a man who faithfully year after year worships God. He's not the hero of the book. He's actually Samuel's dad. And I would challenge you that we're in a similar age today. And what we need is not a hero, but a group of teens who dare to worship God. So point number two is worship God despite your family condition. Worship God despite your family condition. I actually picked 1 Samuel because I wanted to combat two lies. Lie number one is that whatever environment you grow up in, that's who you become. So whatever your surroundings are, that's who you will eventually become. I know a lot of you come either from split homes or you have two different dads or two different moms or you have difficult lives where you've grown up. Maybe you've grown up in an abusive relationship. Maybe you're in a home where your mom likes God and worships God, but your dad doesn't or vice versa. And we come with different family backgrounds with a lot of difficulty and a whole lot of baggage. And sometimes I think what we can think is, okay, because I have this baggage, I can never worship God truly as I ought. And what Samuel does is Samuel grows up in a household where Hophni and Phinehas are his stepbrothers, basically. And they're scumbags. They're awful. They're horrible people. And Samuel loves God the whole time. And so it's a lie that your family condition determines who you are. But there's also a second lie. This was the lie that I struggled with. Guess what? I grew up in a pastor's home. Just so you know, Pastors' homes are not super eventful. (laughs) When it comes to the big sins, you know how we say you're not supposed to classify sins? Wow. All right. You guys should be responding. You're from church. You know that I talk to people. We're not supposed to classify sins, but we all have sins in our minds that like, oh, these are worse than others. And I remember hearing stories of men and women who had been delivered out of drugs, delivered out of horrible lifestyles. They were raised in abusive homes. And I just thought, their testimony is so cool. Like, they have such a cool testimony. I remember one guy, I was a young, young person, probably before I was 10. And I went to this, this conference with my dad, and this guy got up, and he told about how he had been abused by his cousins. And one time when he was nine, he was so sick of it that he waited for him with a baseball bat and just smashed their face in. And then he became a follower of Christ and now is living for God. And I was like, I will never have a cool testimony like that. I can't be used in an awesome way by God. That's also a lie. And some of you are here today and you're from really, really good homes. You're from really godly homes. Your parents love the Lord and they encourage you to love the Lord. And you may be tempted to say, you know, I can't. I can't honor God like those who have gone through a lot of trauma. That's actually a complete lie. Samuel grows up as a follower of Christ, both from a godly parent, Elkanah and Hannah were godly, and then in an ungodly environment. And he teaches us three things. Elkanah actually teaches us three things. Worship God despite his wife's ungodliness. That's what he did. Look at four through seven. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he gave portions to his wife Paniah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave her a double portion because he loved her, even though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously. Why? To irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Paniah was straight up mean. She had kids, and instead of seeing the blessing of God that had given her, she rubbed it into Hannah's face. 
Girls, you need to be careful how you treat each other because the reality is sometimes girls can be mean. Did anyone know that? All the girls are like, yeah, they can be. Uh, you girls can be mean and vicious, but sometimes the way you treat others reveals more about who your God is than who you are. It reveals who you are worshiping. And Paniah here was blessed by God with kids and she would just rub it in Hannah's face. But girls, it teaches us if you're mistreated, made fun of, Hannah didn't respond and cried in kind. She talked to God about it. And so Elkanah, though, even in this situation with two wives, which was not God's will, he continued to worship God even though he could have made an excuse. Second, worship despite, he worshiped despite his personal sorrow. You know that song we sang, Blessed Be Your Name? There's a man who I really respect. His name is Mickey Farlow. And he lost his wife. And he came into church that Sunday and they sang the song, Blessed Be Your Name. Now, if you, as we sang it, that's an upbeat song, right? Yeah, you're getting it. Front row kids get it. Okay. Uh, Blessed Be Your Name is an upbeat song, correct? He walked in there and the line hit him. You give and you take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. See, we like to praise God when things are good. But Elkanah worshiped despite his personal sorrow. Do you know that in Elkanah's day, if you didn't have kids, you were a weirdo? And so he probably married Hannah and they weren't able to have kids and then he married Paniah and it was wrong. But he was, despite his personal sorrow that he couldn't have kids with Hannah, And what we need today is young people who not only worship God when their grades are good, their family is together, their life is easy, and they have a lot of likes on social media. What our world needs is people who dare to worship God, teens who dare to worship God, even when the life is difficult, even when things aren't going smoothly. Letter C is they worship despite the inconvenience. I think we're all going to get in trouble with this one. Watch this. Verse 19. They rose, what's the next word? 1 Samuel 1, verse 19. It says, they rose, what? Early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. I have one kid and one wife. (laughs) It's a good thing. Amen, yeah. Guess what? Waking your family up early doesn't always go over super well. It was an inconvenience for Elkanah to go to worship here. But he got up early and he woke up his family and he woke up his kids and he said, we're going to take this and make it a priority for our family to worship God. Can I get a little bit of honesty here? You're going to have to answer yes because I'm going to ask you anyway. You'll always give me honesty. That's good. Have you ever missed church for a sporting event, for vacation, or because you just didn't want to? Not because you're sick or because you're at camp. Has anyone ever missed a service for those reasons? Okay, yeah, I have my hand up too. We live in a world where it's like, okay, if it's inconvenient to go to church, I won't go to church. But what we need today is people who like Elkanah and like Samuel will worship despite the inconvenience. A godless world needs teens who worship despite the fact that church butts up against wrestling meets or despite the fact that your agenda doesn't get to happen because you're going to worship God. Where are those teens? Because the reality is the teens who change the world are not the ones who do exactly the same as everyone else. Do you know that statistically, 70% of teens leave the church 
within like the 10 years after they're in high school. And you're like, yeah, pastor, every single speaker tells us that. But the reality is, if you want to make a difference, be someone who dares to commit and say, I'm going to worship God. He is going to come first in my life. Worship God despite the difficulty. Letter three, number three, worship God despite your religious condition. Worship God despite your religious condition. Some of you come in here and you never go to church. Or some of you come in here and you're always in church. Your parents like live in church. And we have everyone in between. But the religious condition at this time, everyone did what was what in their own eyes? Right in their own eyes, okay? So that means every single person that came to worship was a hypocrite. Do you know any hypocrites? Yes, you absolutely know hypocrites. And the reality is, Elkanah had to learn to worship God despite the hypocrites. At this time, people would still come and pretend to worship, but they did what was right in their own eyes. And the sons, the religious leaders of the day, look at verse uh, 3. There were two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. They were priests of the Lord. But they were horrible because priests were supposed to get some food out of each sacrifice, but they would go in and they would rip off the best parts for their own selves. And then they were completely immoral and sleeping around with people as they came into worship. And so that's the religious environment that Elkanah was in, and yet he continued to worship God. I don't want you to answer this question because your pastor might be here and you might make him really mad. Uh, so I won't ask it as a question. Let's do it that way. Some of you are in dead or dying churches. Some of you, you go to church and when your pastor begins to speak, it's like instant sleep hits you. And some of you, you go to church and you're like, I'm pretty sure these songs were written by Moses. They're so old. And you're going to these churches and you're beginning to develop this attitude. You come to some place where there's awesome music. And I love, I love working with Willie. This is the third time we've done it. I love how he picks songs. But sometimes you go to church and you begin to sing songs. You're like, these are dumb and old. Can you worship God even if your church is dying? Yes, yes you can. Will you though? That's the question. Because worship is not simply an experience. Worship is when we learn to behold our God. Guess what? There are some old hymns that are really boring to sing, um, but the words are awesome. And you can worship God despite the religious condition. You may have to go to a lukewarm church with lukewarm people and a lukewarm pastor because your parents go, but you can worship God. Our world today needs worshipers of God and that will make the difference. Because worshipers of God, I think they make John 15, 5 their motto. Which is when Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. That becomes your motto. You say, without God, I can do nothing. My focus is gonna be on God. And then your mission becomes Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations. So my challenge for you tonight is ask God to make you a true worshiper of him despite your national condition, your family condition, or your religious condition. And if you're here today and you're like, I have almost no clue about anything church, anything Bible, I don't know what the gospel is, this week, ask God that he would open your eyes to understand what it means to be a worshiper of God. 
We're going to talk about the gospel, how we are sinners separated from God, but Christ died so that we could be restored to God, and that happens by faith. Ask questions, and I'm happy if you want to come and ask me questions afterwards, but our world needs worshipers. And I truly believe that there are some of you here today who all these sermons will go in one ear and out the other. But there are others of you here, and you're like, I'm tired of being a statistic. I'm going to worship God despite what's going on in my life. Father God, make us those worshipers. Even now, be drawing each one of our hearts in here to say, I'm going to look not to my circumstances, not to my national condition, not to my family condition, not to even my religious condition. I'm going to look to God, and I'm going to dare to worship him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. Would you draw worshipers to yourself and then motivate us to make disciples who are also worshipers of you? Thank you for this privilege to be able to look into your word, continue to use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.